millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 29, we discuss what lessons MLS can learn from Liga MX's continued success in the US, which MLS game this past weekend had the best viewing number for the 2017 season thus far, our thoughts on Fox's FA Cup final uh, coverage, plus plenty of feedback from you, the listeners, about what changes NBC should consider uh, to improve its EPL coverage next season. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnar. Kartik, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks, Chris. Surviving this Florida heat. It's uh, summer, well, summer arrived like over a month ago, but uh, it's a hot time of the year, but uh, plenty of soccer on deck so let's let's start off by talking about um, what you've been watching this past week. Yeah, I've, I've been watching a big dose of the U20 World Cup on FS1 and FS2. Uh, very good coverage, I think, for Fox. Obviously, uh, they're picking up the FIFA feed and then doing uh, uh, voiceovers for, for certain games with uh, or voiceovers with their, their own commentators. Uh, the uh, the one. It, the one drawback I would say in their coverage has been their rotation of commentators. So, for example, this morning for the U.S. game, uh, we're taping on Thursday morning, uh, Eastern Standard U.S. time. Uh, so Thursday afternoon in Korea, Thursday morning in the United States, they had uh, Mark Followell and Tony Miola, who I thought were excellent. They did a very good job with this uh, U.S. 6 New Zealand nil game. However, uh, it was their first uh, U.S. game, and then there had been uh, different commentators. We've, we've heard from Brian Dunseth. We talked about him last week week. We've heard from Glenn Davis. We've heard from um, a whole host of people calling U.S. games. And it's been the same thing with the Mexico games. There's been rotations of announcers. Uh, and it's that's a little bit annoying. But I, I'm glad that they're bringing us every game. They're bringing us every game on FS1 or FS2. Uh, they've done a really good job, I think, of uh, promoting this tournament as compared to the way ESPN when they had the FIFA contract would promote uh, youth tournaments. So uh, I, I give Fox a, a passing grade for this and, and I, I'm thinking maybe the rotation of commentators Chris has to do with feeling out which combinations work, which teams work, uh, who's comfortable with whom for Confederations Cup and then obviously more importantly next summer for the World Cup. And, and I think we maybe will see some experimentation during Confederations Cup and Gold Cup as well and the U17 World Cup which is coming up 
in a few months from India. That's uh, another dry run uh, for uh, for Russia 2018 and um, the uh, France 2019 Women's World Cup. I, I think they want to have everything down before those two tournaments um, because uh, the, the, the scattergun approach to me must have a um, must have a logical conclusion. Absolutely, I, I think it's one of those things. Uh, this not not, not this uh, past season's Europa League uh, final that just ended with United winning it, but the previous Europa League. There was a lot of experimentation on Thursday broadcast because the you mean. The level of teams playing in the tournament, um, I guess, a couple of seasons ago now, too, uh, wasn't the greatest. You didn't have the Uniteds uh, and of that ilk uh, in the tournament. So you had um, a lot of um, experimentation. You had Brian McBride doing a lot of the broadcasts. You had a whole bunch of people that you usually didn't hear. Uh, Ross Fletcher was one that was introduced. And slowly but surely, they've been picking up more airtime or, or have moved on to other broadcasters. I think with the FIFA Confederations Cup, I don't think they'll do too much experimentation for that one. I think that's going to be more of a dry run for the World Cup. So they'll probably want to put the best foot forward. Um, but I think it's more so it, probably the Gold Cup in terms of the early rounds. Um, and also for, for next season, too. I mean, having the Tony Miolas of the world and Mark Followells and uh, so on and so forth, just trying to see, okay, in terms of uh, coverage, if Fox begins to get more coverage or wants to do more American voices for their commentaries rather than the world feed, uh, who would be a best fit for those types of games? Followell, keep in mind, is only available during uh, the NBA offseason. So that's or when the uh, Dallas Mavericks aren't playing. So that's been part of uh, uh, maybe the inability to integrate him when, uh, during non-summer events. Mm hmm. Yeah, and his uh, broadcast style is very, very American. I mean, it's it, it's it's old school kind of. It's it does sound to me. I mean, he knows soccer, but it does sound like it's old school sports kind of job. Yeah, it's a it's a total contrast from John Strong. If you're used to John Strong, uh, this is why I, I found those comments the uh, other week on Alexi Lalas's podcast so odd. Because to me, John Strong's commentary style is if you take if you just ignore the accent, I think it's very kind of anglicized. Mm -hmm. His commentary style yeah uh, maybe even more so than some of the uh british commentators uh, whereas well, a guy like follow will is a classic american sports announcer yeah i i would say john strong is more anglicized than arlo white who is english yeah right i know i would agree <laughs> with that all right so, so what else kartiki i know, I know the u20 20 world cup uh, and i know you've been watching a bunch of that but what, what other uh, great games have we watched uh, yeah, so obviously the FA Cup final, uh, we, we can get to kind of breaking that down uh, in a few minutes, but watch that on Fox. Uh, and uh, obviously there, any conversation in the studio, I guess, is going to always come down to Arsene Wenger. And Wenger has managed to make himself the center of attention and the center of conversation throughout English football. Um We'll get back to that in a few minutes. Uh, NPSL uh, Sunshine Conference game, which I called between Naples and Boca Raton on, on Saturday night. I, I hope people enjoyed my commentary of that game if they watched it. Uh, NWSL Chicago Red Stars and uh, Carolina Courage. This was a fantastic game uh, between two of the top teams uh, in the league. Chicago was able to win the game. It was an exciting game. It was an open game. Uh, the usual complaints I have about Go90, I still have. They're getting slightly better week to week, but 
that were not quickly enough. Um, the championship final, uh, which was uh, uh, on uh, on BN here in the United States, was the f- uh, fourth network appearance for Stuart Robson and also the fourth network appearance for John Champion, which he pointed out to me on Twitter when I said he's made three and four for Robson in the last month of U.S. networks. Uh, Champion very uh adroitly pointed out that he'd been on the sci-fi network the final day of the uh of the premier league season which i had forgotten right the chelsea game um which which was kind of an afterthought that day uh other than the jt um his sub off in the 26th minute in the guard of honor and all of that um so that was uh the fourth network for champion fourth network for robson uh two of the best in the business two of my favorites obviously two people i ranked in the top five top three of their respective categories when we did our our um commentator rankings and chris let me tell you we needed we we needed those two badly for this match because it hadn't been john champion and Stuart Robson, I probably would have eventually turned the turned uh, the game off. I mean, their commentary and Champion has a lot of experience with this because he has done a lot of solo commentaries on um, on championship games and league cup matches and the type of matches where he, which are slower and where he needs to fill in kind of the co-commentator role also. So he kind of understood how to narrate through 120 minutes of that. Um, Reading, not really even attempting to play Huddersfield playing for the first 30 minutes or so and then running out of steam it seems mm-hmm. yeah 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 definitely i, I watched uh, we talked about this last week too i wasn't impressed with either huddersfield or reading I'm, I'm really happy that huddersfield made it through uh there's a unique angle in terms of uh, david wagner uh, for next season that's going to ha- add a storyline for especially american viewers but uh, and, a, and a yorkshire team which i yeah. think is important league exactly and plus being the first time that they've made it to the premier league so a lot of different angles there it's going to be a, an exciting team to watch they've got a great stadium um and it is yorkshire like you said which which adds a, a different dynamic to the league and different uh, type of fans and a lot of history but uh yeah that's what i love about john champion too he's always um adds a historical um kind of uh, i guess perspective it, oftentimes in his intros to the matches so for this one he was talking about uh how this started off in the 80s as a fad and now it's turned into the biggest um, football match or the, the richest football match in the world uh talking about the playoff structure and, and how it was introduced in the 80s um in the championship which it wasn't even called the championship back then basically the second tier to try to get promotion to the to the premier league and uh, his, his his historical context i guess is what i really love about it about it yeah. as well is his commentating style but it was one of those kind of just just really kind of painful matches to watch but uh with so much on the line and i was i wasn't surprised because huddersfield wasn't scoring many goals uh even in the uh, the semi-finals uh but they held on uh pre pre pre-match there was the analysis from gary bailey and thomas rongan uh k murray is on vacation in europe so it was interesting to see actually gary bailey uh, uh sit in as the host and i thought he did a great job i mean he's reading the teleprompters but the interaction between Gary Bailey and Thomas Rongan, kind of just the two of them, I thought was fine. And uh, hats off to uh, for being sports too, for showing the uh, and playing the national anthem um, from Wembley and showing that uh, uncut uh, before the match started. 
Yeah, they did a very good job, I thought, BN. They, they, they have the last few years with this championship final. It has been Kay Murray hosting the previous few years. Um, a match that was exciting was the Liga MX final, the second leg on Sunday night, although there was some questionable officiating and, and play acting towards the end of the game. I thought Univision was outstanding uh, with, with the game. I was a little surprised uh, that the kickoff time was at 7 Eastern. I thought it would be an 8 or 9 o'clock Eastern just to build the hype. And, and in Mexico, we tend to have a lot of late kickoffs uh, but this game was at uh at the metlife uh state or whatever it's called um, omni the, uh, stadium right omni life sorry in in guadalajara the uh the chiva stadium which uh, uh, vergara had built and uh it was a great spectacle and uh Chivas, we know that they drive ratings. We know that they drive interest in the United States. And uh, boy, this was a this was a great spectacle. Jinyak uh, did not get a, uh, a goal in this game, mm-hmm. which was uh, I think very surprising for a lot of folks. And that was uh, the difference. He had a lot of chances, uh, some some opportunities that he probably in other uh, circumstances would have finished. And so Tigres was looking for their third title in uh, the last four tournaments. The four tournaments since Jinyak came over from from Liga, they didn't get it, but uh, obviously they've made the final three of the four tournaments now and uh, I the the thing that I found very interesting about the coverage of this was that um, there wasn't as much build up and I think again it was the seven o'clock start time um, as much build up from Univision although there were on their bumper programs during the day there wasn't as much of a lead in pregame show as you typically have uh, for these le- we've had for these Liga MX playoff games throughout the uh, this Clausura season or even um, previous tournaments so that I thought was interesting but I, that was because of the odd timing of the game 7-0-7 or 7-0-8 kickoff right. something like that how about that goal from uh, Alan uh, Polito I, I don't know if you saw that the, oh, it was just a, well, I mean, yeah, that, that right was the amazing. Yeah, the the the, the, the Polito goal. Um, and there's there's literally no defense for that. There's no way to oh, defend yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Unstoppable. Space. Right, and then the crowd from that point forward in that match was just amazing. Mm-hmm. And so. Here's a critique. Now, this is getting off our little media thing, but it does translate to television. Um, There had been a lot of fear when Chivas moved into that stadium that there would be no atmosphere and it would be static. And this is something we talk about all over the world because it's a much bigger facility than the old Estadio Jalisco. The acoustics are different. I think it became much like Jalisco did after that Polito goal. For the duration of the match, you could feel the energy coming through your television sets. And that might be this might be seen as the night that that uh, ground, that stadium grew up and became a proper ground. And we've seen that with facilities in England as teams have gotten to bigger facilities. I can tell you this is a Man City supporter. I didn't feel like we had really moved into Eastlands or the Etihad, as it's now called, uh, from Main Road until we had a Europa League game against Hamburg, which we ended up losing in 2008. But I thought, okay, or 2009. I can't remember. I think it was 2009. Thought, okay, finally, this stadium is befitting of our old ground. It finally has that energy and that life. And I think that this was that game for uh, Omni Life Stadium. Yeah, it's one of those things that uh, it makes a big difference on television too. When you do have whether it's 
the, the extremes, kind of a, um, a West Ham stadium, the Olympic stadium, where there's not much of an energy level there. The atmosphere is, is not that good and, and it doesn't help with the TV uh, broadcast. Uh, vice versa, on the other side, on the other extreme too, when you do have a, an electric atmosphere in a stadium uh, with crowd cheering and just kind of the, 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 the energy level is high, it makes you want to keep, continue watching. So it does make a big difference. And that was one of the things I noticed too with the, uh, the U20 games. I was watching the, the US New Zealand this morning just very, I mean, there was more empty seats than there were people there. It just doesn't help in terms of kind of pulling you into that broadcast. Yeah, the only games that, uh, the only game I've watched in the tournament that has had a good crowd was South Korea and England, and England actually beat them, uh, beat the host country. But that was, uh, there were, it was a good crowd for that because it was the home country. But that's always the problem in youth tournaments that are held um, that are held in, in these uh, kind of far-flung locations. I mean, I, I think India will be even worse yeah. for the U-17s. I was uh, blown away, though, Kartik, by this uh, Chivas-Tigris uh, final, the second leg. Reason being is that um, I was at Disney. My daughter was playing in one of the soccer tournaments there. So by the time her game was over, I came back to, to the hotel and that was the first thing I did was switch on the uh, Liga MX game, the final, and it just ended. And um, the, all I saw, the first thing I saw was one of the players chasing another player across the pitch to try to, I don't know, hit him or kick him or whatever it was. And then all the all the um, the post match celebrations with the trophy and everything else. But it felt like watching like a World Cup final. It was like the confetti. I mean, the, the fans going crazy. The players just so emotional. Uh, it was a great great television pro- uh, production or great soccer to watch in terms of, and I, and I missed the game. I saw the highlights afterwards, but um, just the, the energy level, which is at a fever high for post-match. It was just a, it was a great thing to watch. And, and of course it was in Spanish um, on uh, Univision. So I, I couldn't even understand what they were saying, but I just, I didn't, I, I enjoyed it as a neutral. League MX is such a television-driven league. Um, it's something that we sometimes forget, and it's a, it's a league which where I think television and the impact of television has been. Um, partly because they drive some of the clubs, right? A number of the clubs are owned by television companies. Uh, has um, has just been accepted as the Mexican by the Mexican fan base in a way that, for example, all the changes for television have not been accepted in England and Germany, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, by by fans, and you still hear so many complaints about it from German fans. Well, why are there games on Sunday at uh, X hour? I mean, all the games should kick off at the same time, and the same thing in England. That. Um, I think that they know how to play the television even more than English fans do. Um, yeah, yeah. The confetti was coming down during the game, by the way, too. Oh, really? Right wow. Yeah. Which, uh, or, which or stuff was coming onto the pitch, which is um, something that people don't like about Mexican football. I like it. I like it. I, I mean, to me, it reminds reminds me of uh, 1978 World Cup final, Argentina against Holland, and I think from from Buenos Aires, but also other World Cup finals too, and, and just. I like the confetti because it adds a whole different dynamic. It's just uh, sometimes it makes it hard to see the pitch lines. I mean, if it, if it is uh, too much confetti, but personally, I enjoy it. It's, it's a great uh, television spectacle. So, Kartik, uh, the FA Cup final, um, I did get a chance to watch the pre-match on Fox. And then um, I was at the hotel and then I watched, I think, at, uh, the game itself at, at the restaurant uh, in the hotel. 
the game I thought was entertaining. I was surprised uh, how Arsenal did so well and how poor Chelsea was at times. But um, in the pre-match, I was really glad to see uh, Mario Melchiot uh, doing, getting a run out there instead of uh, Alexia Lalas. Lalas was doing the Portland against Seattle later. Uh, I thought Mario Melchiot's uh, English is a lot better than it was when he first started doing broadcast for, for Fox. And I also liked um, Winalda being in Lalas's chair, uh, adding more analysis and more kind of thoughtful um, input than, than Lalas, who, I don't know, just doesn't seem to be that interested in, in English soccer, doesn't have anything really interesting to say, to me at least. Um, and uh, kind of pre-match, the, the main theme that they were talking about was that how the shine is back in the FA Cup. And that was something they repeated quite a few times. Um, I think it's debatable uh, in terms of, I mean, there was, the, the final was a great spectacle. It wasn't the greatest match ever, but uh, it, that was fine. It was competitive. Uh, but it was an interesting kind of uh, theme that they were kind of just repeating throughout the uh, pre-match just to try to add some gravitas perhaps to the match itself. And uh, also hats off to Fox too for showing uh, and, and um, uh, no commercials interruptions for uh, Abide With Me, which is the um, the pre-FA Cup uh, song that they always sing, as well as um, the national anthem, God Save Our Queen, without breaking away from commercials. Yeah, I thought they were um, interpreting the... Um the revival of the FA Cup, um, Malkiot and and Warren Barton, as a um, potentially because there were big teams playing in the final and it was seen seen as a big occasion for big teams. But that's part of the reason why the FA Cup is dying, in my opinion, is that you always hear the very kind of stereotypical knee-jerk reactions from media saying, oh, well, it's because the, the, the big teams don't take it seriously and they rotate their squad and they're playing B teams through the uh, third and fourth and fifth rounds of, of the FA Cup. A lot of it has to do with the fact that teams that are fighting relegation from the Premier League and teams that are pushing for promotion from the championship don't take the FA Cup seriously at all and they don't have the squad depth to where they can make a run with their B teams or with a heavily rotated squad. So I think you're getting arguably the top four teams in the country. Obviously, Liverpool finished in the top four, but you could argue Arsenal are one of the top four teams in the country. So you're getting the top four teams in the country in the semifinals, Arsenal, Chelsea, uh, Man United, uh, Man City, and, uh, and Spurs, I think just speaks to the tournament now becoming perhaps utterly predictable as the prize of the league and league survival or promotion is far, far greater Mm -hmm. than um, winning the FA Cup. So I had thought in the last few years, maybe you would then see, because of this phenomena, the likes of a Stoke or a Southampton who are not going to get relegated, but at the same time uh, generally won't qualify for Europe. Well, Southampton's qualified the last few years, so maybe that's a bad example. Maybe they would make a run in the FA Cup and win an FA Cup, but that hasn't happened either. Right. I mean, it's generally been um, – well, the last four FA Cup winners are Arsenal three times and Man United once. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, I think for me, may, it, that's hurting the FA Cup and the romanticism around the cup. Now, in order to elevate it again to being an important property for someone like Fox, who's a rights holder, or for media who love this competition, maybe you do need to have Arsenal and Man United win it every year. I don't know. 
Yeah, I think in many ways the FA Cup is almost like a bronze medal. I mean, it's uh, you, you look at Arsenal winning it this season that saves uh, saves Wenger's job, you mean so to speak. But but also kind of a, a something a piece of silverware that at least the season wasn't a complete disaster. Um, I mean, they, they they should have done better, I think. But but last season too, Man United winning it too, beating Crystal Palace in the final. That was something that was kind of a kind of a, something to brighten up a, 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 another depressing season for Man United that um, so I, I don't think it's at the level that it has been in the past and I think in many ways too that when we get to the final we kind of I think romanticize a little bit more but then we some of us forget uh, kind of the the third fourth and fifth rounds where I mean there are a lot of uh, Blowouts. I mean, there was. I mean, the, the Spurs against Millwall game, and yes, there were some upsets, but um, I don't know. It just it's it's not at that level of competition that that it used to be uh, on the pedestal. Now it's 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 a few tiers down, uh, kind of competing at the same level as as a League Cup, and so so that was my take. Was kind of. I was surprised by how they were kind of positioning the the shine is back. Well, what, what's that? What's that based on? Because I'm not seeing the shine. Yes, the final was great, and there's a lot of focus on that. Um, but other than that, I'm I'm not seeing it. Um, the other thing about Fox too, again, another hats off is that they showed the tri- the trophy celebration afterwards. Um, so, and, and that's been a big complaint in many many years ago now, where they didn't show that at all. Um, so they showed that. So uh, thumbs up there. And then Kartik, uh, so Martin Tyler and Stuart Robson was doing that one on the commentary. I enjoyed that. Uh, following that was the Seattle against Portland game. And um, this one, I watched the game itself. I didn't, um, I was at the restaurant bar, so I wasn't able to actually listen in on the uh, Rob Stone and Alexi Lalas uh, analysis or pre-match, what they were talking about. But um, there was a, a goal in the first four minutes, which should have uh, kept uh, viewers hooked uh, and glued to this game, um, especially with something happening that quickly. Uh, unfortunately, it was the only goal of the game. But um, from a from a watching it from a bar, and uh, it was a really physical game. I couldn't believe how overly physical it was. Yes, it's a derby, but lots of. I mean, Clint Dempsey should have got a red card for an elbow. It was just a very physical game on a. I'm sure what was a very tough surface in terms of the astroturf there. But uh, did you get a chance to see this this one, Kartik? No, this is when I was actually driving to Naples. So okay. I left at the full time of the FA Cup um, uh, game and then got to Naples and, and uh, was calling my game and then had my mobile device on Go90 to keep keep an eye on the NWSL game. So I didn't yeah. see I didn't see any MLS actually on Saturday. Yeah. Um, uh, for, for whatever reason, for me, priority has come has become NWSL over MLS when they're competing. I guess guess uh, yeah. crazy thing might sound just some of our listeners yeah yeah I, I think i think a lot of people are doing that though too it's it's uh you're not the only one for sure the challenge with seattle against portland was is it was on the same time as um the uh, dfb pokal final between frankfurt and dortmund and also at the same time as um the copa del rey final between barcelona and, and alaves um so, so that that i'm sure that had an impact in terms of that um Core soccer fans, and also it ended up being obviously the last match for uh, uh, for, for well, we knew Valverde was probably going to come into Barcelona replacing uh, Luis Enrique, but uh, for Thomas Tuchel and. Uh, 
it's interesting to watch uh, transitioning. I think we've we've uh, we've all been watching ESPN FC. Both of us have been watching ESPN FC this week. Uh, Tuchelista, that uh, the 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 uh, official Tuchelista is Gab Marcotti. Loves Thomas Tuchel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been interesting seeing his analysis of of what happened and why Tuchel would get the sack or, or lead by mutual consent at Dortmund, and. Um, it's been real interesting just transitioning to ESPN FC this week, which we've both been watching because the most significant thing to me is that once you start talking about transfers and you're in a European closed season, you have to have Marcotti on every day and you have to have every conversation because uh, his reporting uh, on transfers and, and knowledge of, of, of what's going on transfer wise is second to none. And he's one of the few guys who follows all these leagues. So yeah. um, the show has been very good this, this week. They've been based in Cardiff. Um, on Monday, actually it was, um, it was still in Bristol and it was a, uh, it was uh, Brian McBride, Stevie Nichol, and Casey Keller, who uh, and Sebastian Salazar. But they um, and they spent most of the show talking about Wenger. It felt like um, now that we've got that conversation out of the way, and we know what's happened with Wenger. Uh, it's been good to see them on the ground in Cardiff with with, with Moreno, with Marcotti, with Robson, and with Burley. Mm-hmm. And um, I know I must be forgetting someone in that that uh, that group. I think uh, obviously Dan Thomas is the host. Uh, but um, interestingly for you, uh, Chris, this this must be neat because they're they're doing their little sampling of Welsh culture yeah. and of the flavor of Cardiff, and that's uh, that that's something nice to see because uh, so often we get coverage of football in this country that completely obscures the fact that uh, Wales is part of the United Kingdom. And it's about, well, this is where you go in London. This is where you go in Manchester. This is what Liverpool's like. And it's really good to see that kind of cultural emphasis on Cardiff. And obviously we're going to get a couple more days of it. Yeah, it's it's been a uh, a great uh, tourist uh, opportunity here for for Wales for the country of Wales. I'm, I'm actually going to be going back there in a couple of weeks on holiday with my family, and we're planning on staying. I think for the two, whole two weeks in Wales and just traveling around uh, different castles and uh, d- different uh, tourist spots and kind of uh, some of the mountains and just enjoying kind of the, the country life there in Wales. But from a um, as someone who was born in Wales and grew up in Wales, um, seeing the ES- ESPN FC crew uh, in Cardiff, kind of on, on set outside studio and just with the backdrop of you know, Cardiff Castle or uh, the different buildings around there. That's great to see. That was something I noticed too. Last week when I was in England going into Paddington Station in London and the entire Paddington Station was filled with uh, huge, these huge posters that you see in tube stations usually on the walls, you know, like, like 10 foot tall. Um, all of them were focused on Cardiff, not only as a tourist spot uh, and Wales as a tourist spot, but also a place to do business in. And uh, Paddington is the main railway station, train station that services uh, Wales. So a lot of the, uh, the trains all the, the football fans that will be coming to this match probably from uh, Madrid and Juventus will probably fly into London and then take the train from Paddington to Cardiff. Uh, it's only about two hours away by, by train. Uh, but yeah, 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 it's great to see. And, and actually the funny thing, well, it's not really funny, but the ESPN has a better representation, have more people in Cardiff, in Wales, and they don't have the, the rights than Fox does. I mean, Fox is sending... Uh, John Strong and Brad Friedel and I think Kate Abdo is going to be there. 
Jeff Shreve, Jeff Shreves is going to be there too, doing some uh, sideline reporting. But he would have been there anyway for Sky Sports. Uh, meanwhile, like you said too, I mean ESPN has a crew of probably like what about six or seven people, uh, talents that are there. Yeah, and and, they, and they've done this uh, previous years with with the show too. I mean, this is uh, shows a commitment. And again, I mean, we went through this in the in in the 2015 Women's World Cup where ESPN's coverage, bumper coverage of an event that was on Fox was better on ESPN and they had obviously had been able to keep some of the talent like Julie Foudy uh, at the network to analyze. Uh, but this is not um, this is not unprecedented. And it's something that I, I think Fox has to be concerned about just because of the head to head comparison. Now, they hate when we make the head to head comparison. Right. Yep. They hate when we uh, take a look at what uh, ESPN is doing for the Euros going on simultaneously as Fox for the Copa America and make the, the contrast. But there is no question here that when you look at what ESPN SPNFC is doing, they're committed to covering soccer at a high level in a news uh, fashion, in a news and commentary fashion, regardless of what network games are on. Now, uh, they show highlights from all over, except when BN doesn't give them <laughs> bumper rights. Mm-hmm. But um, it again shows Fox what they could be capable of doing in terms of bumper programming and news programming and auxiliary programming if they were uh, ancillary programming, excuse me, if they were willing to make the effort and hire the talent and put put forth mm-hmm. the ideas. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see because I, it, I mean, Fox, I'm not sure when they're flying in the talent, if they're flying them in, say, today, Thursday, um, to try to get uh, John Strong and Brad Friedel at some of the um, uh, pre-match uh, uh, press conferences, and I mean, see if they can actually kind of talk to some of the the, uh, the players and coaches and get some insight that will help them in their broadcast for for Saturday's game. Um, we'll get more into that in, in, in the next segment, but in terms of um, what Fox is planning on doing, but at the same time, I mean, ESPN's been there all week. Um, with Fox, I mean, it's a missed opportunity. I mean, we probably won't know anything about their analysis or any of their coverage until two o'clock on Saturday when they start broadcasting. As far as I know, I I missed, I haven't seen any of it unless I've missed it. There's been no buildup in terms of here's a live report from Kate Abdo and talking about, um, I don't know, arriving in, in, in Wales and kind of what, what the atmosphere is like in the day, the bill, the days building up to the game, uh, so on and so forth. But uh, yeah, it's a complete different mindset with Fox and uh, I don't think you're going to for Saturday I don't think you're going to get any kind of uh, insights about Welsh culture or you mean what Wales means uh, what this means uh, to Wales which is a big deal to have this Champions League final people from around the world watching this uh, on Fox I don't think you'll get any of that it'll be just kind of yeah uh, I would same, think same old. for you for you personally and other uh, people of Welsh heritage this is a proud moment to have the Champions League final yeah. uh, in your capital city and it's um, it, it's a showcase for Wales, and that showcase is, is not being reflected on American, or at least with the American rights holder for UEFA. Uh, to, as we know, uh, as we know now, maybe Saturday they they surprise us, but I, I, I'm I'm not expecting it. So for those of you who want a taste of Welsh culture and build up for this match, just watch ESPN FC the rest of the week, and, and you'll get it. Um, it it's it's also I think very 
interesting to note that ESPN is continuing to send this sort of talent over and make this commitment even after their budget cuts. Because I, I said mm-hmm. earlier that they have been doing this the last few years around the Champions League final. Dan Thomas will will be there the week week of, and Alejandro Moreno, and then there's a rotating cast of characters that some that joins them. Uh, Burley comes obviously, and then uh, this year it's Robson and Marcotti. In past years, you've had Sid Lowe there uh, and others, uh, Honingstein there, but. Um, I think that it shows that there's still a commitment to soccer or at least to presenting soccer in a newsy way mm-hmm. uh, from that network, even while they cut back in, every, in other sports and don't have many soccer rights. And, and it's also a, a really good uh, opportunity for ESPN FC. You know what I mean? Because uh, I just stumbled across it last night. I, I wasn't planning on watching it. So I stumbled across that ESPN FC was there and I switched it on and then they were live from Cardiff. And I'm like, wow, this is incredible. This is, uh, you know, I, I didn't expect that. So, I mean, for me as, as you know, a sports fan, I'm probably more likely to try to tune into ESPN FC for the rest of the week and then continue to kind of watch the programming. I usually don't watch ESPN FC just because of, you mean, know, uh, just I'm usually busy at that time of the day. Maybe I should be watching it more, which is exactly what maybe what uh, ESPN's trying to do is just to pull in more uh, people to watch ESPN F- uh, FC, and it's it's filling filling a, a, a void, a black hole where there, there is no coverage really day to day of soccer except for ESPN FC. So you know, probably uh, those of us who are like me who haven't been watching ESPN FC that much, maybe we should. So, Kartik- yeah, and I and I guess for me, I, I should just point this out. Uh, I don't listen to as many podcasts or watch as many games as as, uh, as other people do. I don't watch as many as many games as you do, but I watch ESPN FC six times a week, so I feel like I'm up to speed on everything. Yeah, it's just I'm not. This is not a promotion for ESPN, but <laughs> I'm just saying it, it is kind of a shortcut or a cheat sheet uh, because they do such a good job uh, with their presentation and covering everything it's also something that nbc doesn't do too so um anyway we'll get into that a little bit later too right right i I made that comparison in a couple a couple weeks ago where i said hey for me a lot of times i'm i'm waiting till espn fc's studio show comes on uh sunday night and i get shaka and i get craig burley and whoever else uh craig burley's never on on sundays but shaka and steve nickel on sundays to analyze the premier league games because sometimes nbc because of their programming commitments are cutting out and we don't have goals on or we have this abbreviated goal zone so um yeah they're doing things that even nbc's not doing so uh before i move on to the next segment uh, those two games i mentioned before the frankfurt against dortmund final and the barca against Alaves, both were brilliant games to watch uh which is a challenge for mls in terms of having their game at the same time or roughly the same time uh the barca game not surprisingly but a- another sensational performance by messi just just some incredible uh dribbling and passing in that one just uh over the top and um the the frankfurt against dortmund game uh that one i watched on espn fc actually no espn3 sorry with spanish language commentary and uh i'm not sure who the commentators were on this one uh they were doing it broadcasting it in spanish language but um the level of commentating was fantastic it just added to the energy and and, and passion uh i really enjoyed both of those games um so it's kind of flipping back and forth um before I watched, uh, I think, most of the second half of the uh, Seattle. Actually, I was flipping back and forth between all three at times. So I'd like to give a shout-out to our sponsor who makes this uh, podcast possible, and that's SeatGeek. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy, and that's with SeatGeek. 
SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's uh, seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and just with a couple of taps, I can instantly find seats. I actually just used SeatGeek, uh, the app, uh, this past week to look for tickets again uh, to Swansea's friendlies coming up against uh, Philadelphia Union, North Carolina FC, and Richmond Kickers. Now, SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. It saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Now, make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best seats um, and the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code WSTPOD today. That's promo code WSTPOD for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now, Kartik, let's move on to TV streaming news, and I'll have you kick it off. Yeah, um, this is this is really interesting. I've actually had some conversations, uh, off the record conversations related to this particular article this week. So uh, l- l- let's uh, let's spill here. Uh, Bloomberg has revealed that uh, Fox and Telemundo bought the 2026 TV rights to the uh, U.S. and Canada markets uh, at the same price as the 2022 issue. And remember, were, they were no bid rollovers basically uh telemundo agreed to pay, pay at least 350 million with fifa receiving a bonus of us 115 million if the us ended up organizing the event uh the amount paid by fox was 300 million with the 180 million bonus uh, assuming again the us uh hosts the world cup uh world football could have earned an additional 500 million in competing bids a fifa official said on the grounds uh that the contracts were not public um Frank Dunn, editor of TV Sports Markets, a research firm on global sports rights, agrees that FIFA has stopped making money. Regardless of the bonus mechanism, they would have had made more money through an open process, says Dunn. Now, what I've uh, been kind of hearing chatter about also is that it may have been, in fact, written into um, Fox's. I, I don't know about Telemundo's contract. We can find out about that, but it written into Fox's contract for 2018 for 2018 and 2022 a guarantee of a summer tournament. It wasn't just an assumption. It wasn't just a um, a um, a kind of unspoken assumption because World Cups are always held in the summer. It may have actually been in their contract, in which case News Corp Fox would have had um, probably the uh, the the ability the uh, the justification to take FIFA to court if they wanted to. Uh, about that, so this is a way of of maybe making all parties happy, and, and there's some other thing conversations about this beyond that that, that I've been having that I don't want to reveal publicly, but uh, it is it is a conversation that a lot of folks are having because they feel like Fox and Telemundo have gotten the deal of the century. Oh yeah, basically, big time uh, for this, and there has to be some reason. Um, obviously. Um, uh, Dunn says that Fox has stopped making. Uh, sorry, uh, that FIFA stopped making money. 
Uh, I agree. Uh, maybe they, they're so awash in cash and corruption scandals and, and DOJ and FBI investigations that they want to be careful about this stuff. And they don't want to extort uh, hundreds and hundreds of millions more than they uh, than they need out of uh, out of broadcasters, especially in this period of time when uh, broadcast TV rights are beginning to, to wane, right? And, and um, broadcast channels and, and cable channels are beginning to have problems at least in the United States. But um, it seems like there probably were additional motivations for why they would want to keep particularly Fox happy. And uh, that's something I'm sure we'll get into in the future and, and don't want to necessarily reveal everything I've heard uh, at this point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so with uh, with Fox, when once they did find out that uh, the twenty twenty six, I'm sorry, the uh, actually the the the, the twenty twenty two World Cup in terms of uh, Qatar uh, was going to be played in the winter time. You mean December, January, and that goes right into. You mean that's NFL prime time in terms of all the playoffs. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a terrible deal for Fox. Honestly, if they if they if they had been on that as self standing property, mm-hmm. uh, that is a terrible time in this country to yeah. have the World Cup. So, for television. So I, I empathize with Fox completely. I want to make yeah. that clear. Oh, yeah, definitely. definitely. So for 2022, when, once they had uh, won the bid for that, and then they found out later that, uh, okay, oh, oh, by the way, it's actually going to be played in December, January. In terms of the, the amount of revenue, advertising, sponsorship, everything, TV ratings uh, that they, they've been able to generate for the 2022 uh, World Cup would be severely uh, a lot smaller than, than a summer World Cup. So that's when Fox's lawyers moved in and pressured FIFA, and then FIFA came back and said, okay, well, for the 2026 uh, World Cup, we'll give it to you at a bargain. We'll give it to you at the, the same price as uh, the 2022, which is $300 million. And then Fox said, okay, we'll give you a $180 million bonus if this game or this tournament in 2026 would be uh, held in the U.S. Now, anyone who watched the... Uh, the World Cup in terms of, uh, I'm sorry, the the, the race for the um, uh, head of FIFA in terms of um, after uh, Blatter left and there was the race for the FIFA president. Uh, if you watch the live footage of that on YouTube, you would have seen uh, Sunil Galati, uh, Don Garber, uh, Sunil especially, working so closely with uh, Infantino, um, trying to round up the votes, trying to get, get to make sure that Infantino was going, going to win this one, uh, which he did, of course. And um, But now we know why. I mean, in terms of the, the close relationship between the, the, the two of them. Yeah, there are even, there's even some speculation that, uh, that Sunil is is directly pulling strings in Zurich now, which is an unprecedented amount of access and power for the United States. Well, maybe not, actually, because uh, uh, Chuck Blazer had a lot of influence over Sepp Blatter, but I, I tend to think that it was a more symbiotic relationship. There were people who seemed to think that um, that report on this stuff, that, that, that I haven't necessarily said it publicly, but a lot of speculation that perhaps Galati, that Infantino is, um, is subservient to Galati. That uh, and that to me is is a, is a little bit surprising. But when you look at the moves FIFA has made in the last year, they all seem to be of, of some degree of benefit to the United States. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so if Fox uh, does. So, if uh, the US does get the World Cup in 2026, which is which is fantastic news if they do get it with Canada and Mexico, most of the game is going to play, be played in the United States. Uh, Fox would have to pay the 180 million dollar bonus, so they'd be paying 480 million dollars for the 2026 World Cup rights. Now, imagine Kartik. 
imagine if this had gone into an open bid and say six months from now, um, after it was announced uh, that the US would host the uh, 2026 World Cup. And after it was revealed and confirmed that it's going to be a 48 team World Cup, the biggest World Cup ever, you mean more countries from around the world. Imagine how much ESPN, uh, NBC, uh, be in sports, maybe even Turner Sports, or maybe somebody else would bid on the rights for this World Cup. Yeah, FIFA screwed up big time. I mean, in terms of the, it all comes from the Qatar incident in terms of having to move the tournament to the winter, uh, which, which is stupid beyond belief, um, and then being pressured into having to basically give the 2026 World Cup rights to Fox for and Telemundo for a bargain. And now the, at a point where they need the money, they're losing money, they're losing sponsors. And um, they could have, I mean, who knows how much money they could have brought in for this. $480 million still is a bargain for a World Cup in the U.S. Uh, was it the 250th uh, anniversary of the United States? Uh, yeah. Of the independence. This would be, for the United States, from that perspective, yes, it's going to be probably a more boring World Cup in terms of all the games being played and all the early rounds. But this would be the biggest World Cup ever in the history of the tournament. Yeah, potentially it will be. Well, just in, size, in terms of size, in terms of uh, right. Well, yeah, yeah. How well? So I guess from a television perspective, it probably it probably would be. And you can think about the the ability maybe that FIFA would have had to have uh, engaged new broadcasters, uh, maybe even a CBS or, or somebody else. Uh, maybe A and E networks. We see their interest in soccer now. Uh, Discovery Channel, uh, Discovery Networks has have made bids, uh, and actually they own uh, Eurosport now. Eurosport. Uh, so they show a lot of soccer on their channels in the UK, in the UK and in Europe. So um, <laughs> I think you're 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 potentially limiting the ability for soccer to grow in this country. And uh, um, the uh, the odd thing also is I think, and who knows what the media landscape looks like nine years from now. Mm-hmm. But right now they're on what would be considered uh, second second or third. Uh, tier, I don't want to say tier, but second or third choice networks uh, of in Fox and in Telemundo instead of being on ESPN and Univision or NBC and Univision. So um, ESPN and Univision, I think, would be the preferred pairing, and that's what we've had for previous FIFA tournaments. Now we've got this Fox-Telemundo pairing, which is uh, um, not it doesn't have the cachet mm-hmm. and with the world cup in the United States with 48 teams, you would potentially be able to get ESPN and Univision or you'd force Fox and Telemundo to defend their property and spend a lot of money, a lot more money to defend their property. That all having been said, I do, I don't know about uh, Telemundo and contracts, but I do, I, I do have it from pretty good sources that Fox um, had been promised the summer world cup. And, um, it's a disaster for them. Uh, I think for Telemundo, it's less of a disaster also because Spanish language, there tends to be a gravitation towards soccer anyway, regardless yeah. of what else is on in the sports landscape. But I think for Fox, it's a complete disaster to have a World Cup right in the middle of, of NFL season and, and college bowls and college championships, college football, uh, the heart of the NBA season and uh, the NHL. So NHL doesn't matter to them, but um, college basketball season as well. So, really one of the busiest times on the sports calendar. They are probably owed this, quite frankly. Oh, yeah. But it's, again, FIFA's mistake because of Cutter. Exactly. It all goes back to that. 
Yeah, yeah. Imagine for the uh, 2022 World Cup in terms of how many of those matches will be on Fox Sports 2. We'd, we'd have to look at the uh, the time zones and what the time the kickoff matches are, the, the matches kick off. I tend to think that they will probably try and make the commitment to get as many games on Fox Sports 1 as possible. Oh, but yeah, yeah, it's for sure. difficult for them um, between the Big Ten Championship and the Pac-10 Championship and all the NFL they have and, and the College Bowls they have and the their college basketball conference commitments to the Big East to uh, to get games on over the air Fox. That's going to be interesting because they're we already know that they've made a commitment to show more games over the air on Fox uh, this go around in 2018 than ABC's been showing the last several World Cups. Mm-hmm. So um, they're going to take a step back in 2022. That's not their fault. Yeah, it's the fault of FIFA. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if it had come up for open bids and ESPN was able to bid on the. Uh, 2026 rights as well as NBC or Turner or others that that FIFA probably could have could have gotten probably a billion dollars for the rights to that World Cup uh, so basically what's that an extra 500 million dollars um, so yeah FIFA really really screwed up on this one and, and it's to Fox's gain I don't I don't blame Fox at all but I just um, it is interesting in terms of some of this uh, information that's coming out from Bloomberg um, so thanks for uh, making uh, the listeners and, and myself aware of that, Kartik. So let's move on. Um, now, if you've ever wanted to get an Amazon Fire TV stick, uh, DirecTV Now is offering a free one to new subscribers who sign up and prepay for one month of streaming service. DirecTV Now is uh, completely separate than DirecTV, the, the satellite company. It's a separate service. It's a streaming service that you can use um, if you want to be a cord cutter and uh cancel your cable or satellite and sign up for DirecTV now. You can do that. Uh, it has all the NBC, uh, ESPN and Fox channels and uh, pricing is about thirty four ninety nine uh, a month. It starts at uh, the value of an Amazon Fire TV stick is $40. So uh, if you prepay for one month, uh, you get you know, one month of uh, DirecTV now and you also get a, a, uh, the actual Fire t- uh, TV stick, which comes with the, uh, the voice remote. Uh, to get the free stick, um, it's a special offer for listeners to World, T- World Soccer Talk. So go to worldsoccertalk.com and you'll see uh, an article there that has more information about uh, how you can sign up for that. So just click on the link uh, from there. In relate- related news, uh, DirecTV Now has launched an app on Roku devices too. So if you have a Roku, you can access uh, DirecTV Now through there. Kartik, so we, we talked about it before in terms of Fox's coverage uh, for this weekend, but uh, maybe a refresher in terms of uh, what they're planning for this weekend. Yeah, so they're going to have Kate Abdo on site in um, in Cardiff. Uh, John Strong and Brad Friedel will call the match live from Cardiff, which is uh, which is great. And obviously, uh, uh, Brad Friedel has played in that stadium before, uh, won the League Cup with Blackburn uh, in 2003 or 2004. I, I think it was 2004, maybe. Uh, Jeff Shreves, uh, who normally is with Sky, whose voice you hear all the time on post game on NBC, if, if you're not familiar with, with him, uh, will be uh, call, reporting from the sidelines for Sky sister network Fox uh, Rob's studio will be in the uh, in the broadcast center in LA alongside Lawless, Winalda and Barton. Uh, that is the familiar pairing, the familiar Champions League uh, combo where um, I think that studio team has gotten better. Lawless is very hit or miss mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it, although I think 
one thing about Lawless, having Lawless and Barton in studio is really good for a Juventus game because they both do dissect defending and the art of defending. And Lawless loves Italian <laughs> Italian defensive football anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, they, they dissect Juventus. I've noticed that throughout this entire tournament. They've been very listenable to when they're talking about Juventus and and the way that back three operates and, and the way they close down space and when they pick their, their, their opportunities to go far, forward. Uh, a, uh, in a way that they're not really very very sharp in analyzing other other top teams in Europe. Uh, give kind of your lazy uh, normal analysis, stereotypical analysis, whereas you rely on Winalda for the, the, the cutting-edge analysis on the other teams, which you probably will be relying on Winalda for the cutting-edge analysis on Real Madrid in this game. But that's, uh, that's Fox's line up for the weekend. Yep, and for Spanish language, this game will be live also on Fox Deportes. Now, Kartik, moving on to TV ratings, um, what's the big one for this uh, past week? Yeah, um, the big game, obviously was Univision, what we talked about, uh, 2.8 million for Chivas Tigres, uh, in spite of that kind of odd start time, 7 p.m. Eastern, although it doesn't seem to have affected the number. 2.8 million uh, for the second leg on uh, the, the different carriers, Univision over the air and Deportes, etc. So that's a fantastic number. And we, um, you, you also had uh, a huge number for the Mexico-Croatia game uh, the previous night on Univision Deportes, um, there was a small number on FS1, uh, a game that was kind of a, quite frankly, a comical game in in terms of how poorly Mexico played, even though they, uh, they, they began to turn it on in the last five minutes, but Croatia, I I DVR'd this game. I was in Naples, uh, but came back and watched it. And then I thought Croatia were really good value for that result. Mm -hmm. Probably should have won by more. Yeah. To put the, the Chivas Tigres number into context. So 2.8 million, um, the last year's UEFA champions league final, uh, was, I believe one, 1.4 1.4 or 1.8 million but whatever it is if it's 1.8 million um i could find the number later but 1.8 million i believe it was and that, that's i mean a million more watched the uh, chivas against tigris uh second leg the first leg i believe was about 1.2 1.3 million too so just massive numbers for liga max um, in the u.s it's re- really incredible um, yeah, and, and I, I think it's important to note um, also that you're, you're seeing anything that that comes up uh, that comes up before or after, particularly after Liga MX games or Mexican national team games, do well on Univision, and so that that applies to uh, the MLS ratings this weekend uh, for the game that was on Univision. Yeah, yeah. So that one was uh, San Jose against uh, LA Galaxy, and that one had uh, eight hundred and ninety-four thousand. Uh, that was on Saturday, and uh, on Univision and Univision Deportes, and that was from ten o'clock uh, until midnight Eastern time, so seven p.m. Pacific. Yeah, big numbers there. And actually, that's the biggest number for MLS this season. Uh, it's not as big as what that same game last June. That one had uh, one million. And yeah. Uh, yeah, some of the comments on the website, too, um, in terms of this number, uh, there was some disappointment just because they said, OK, this is probably MLS's best chance to have a game that's on Saturday night prime time uh, for Pacific Coast um, when there's no Liga MX game on that uh, that night. Um, to have a big number. So to me, it's a big number. I mean, especially with TV ratings um, across all sports really going down. 
894,000, basically 900,000 is uh, nothing to sniff at. That's that's a big number. And I think MLS, uh, all being said, is probably pretty happy with that number. Now, Carter, yeah. uh, so FA Cup final was on earlier that day. That was uh, Arsenal against Chelsea uh, on Fox and Fox Deporters. Um, how much? Uh, how many viewers were in, in it for that match? Yeah, just under a million. It was down 17% from last year's Crystal Palace Manchester United final, uh, 984,000. And that was uh, then reflected by the dip in the Seattle Portland game uh, last season after the FA cup final, I believe it was New York city and Orlando or, or um, it, so, it, it was, there wasn't, a, it, it was uh, New, York, New York against uh, the Red Bulls. The Red Bulls. That's right. It was that seven, one game, seven nil game. Yep. Um, but it was down from uh, 20% from, from last year for, uh, for, for, for that game, uh, the Seattle Portland game, which was 498,000. Now, of course I've had long, long, a long standing narrative that I've talked about that Seattle Portland Cascadia games will draw better on national television than New York Derby's. I guess in this case I was proven wrong because down 20% from last year, but it's a similar dip to the FA cup final. So it seems like the correlation is just the numbers were higher last season, mm-hmm. last year. Uh, again, Manchester United was was in the FA Cup final last year, so let's let's not forget that. Um, that might have uh, accounted for part of it. Uh, Atlanta versus New York City FC, Chris. That did three hundred forty six thousand on ESPN on Sunday. That's. Um, by this season standard, a pretty decent number for uh, for MLS. Now, here's the thing. They keep rotating the same teams, Atlanta, NYCFC, Red Bull, Orlando, uh, Minnesota we're getting a lot of, and then um, Galaxy. not even uh, Seattle, Seattle, Portland, right? Mm-hmm. We're getting a lot. So that's it on ESPN. They're not really rotating other teams. When other teams come into the mix, the ratings kind of tank. We saw that on FS1. Uh, in the game that followed, uh, FC Dallas and Houston only had 140,000 viewers. And this is a situation, again, where um, I think ESPN, excuse me, not ESPN, MLS had kept the same broadcast windows the previous two years on ESPN and Fox. When they go back into those windows, as they did this weekend and as they did two weekends ago, sometimes we see a lag in ratings because people aren't quite sure if there actually is an MLS game on at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the final number from the weekend, the rain dash game, uh, which was four to six p.m. on Lifetime, up against uh, the uh, Seattle Portland game, did a rating that had only ninety four thousand viewers on Lifetime a few weeks ago when there was an it was a uh, MLS game on FS1, not on over the air Fox, but on FS1, Orlando and New York City, and there was a um, NWSL game on Lifetime. They got identical numbers uh, this week because the MLS game was on over the air Fox we saw a big gap in the numbers. So uh, I don't know if that's instructive. It's, it's only two data points, but that's uh, that's worth noting. Yeah, there was a lot of debate actually yesterday, I think on Twitter, on the, the World Soccer Talk account there too, from uh, several different people talking about MLS TV ratings and looking at the, the San Jose number and, and the Atlanta number and all the numbers we talked about um, just, a, just a couple of seconds ago. The, uh, the feedback was um, concern, but then I was talking about that and I said, like, well, don't forget that the MLS uh, TV rights are commingled, combined with uh, U.S. soccer TV rights. So there is a lot of, uh, I mean, as long as the U.S. soccer team is doing well, there's a lot of interest in the national team, which, which there always is, not as much as there have been. But I'm sure things will pick up uh, once they get to uh, hopefully qualify for the World Cup. 
But um, I think in many ways, I think MLS is lucky to have, I mean, their rights mixed in with, with U.S. soccer. So when ESPN, Univision, Fox and others are looking to, you mean, the next right cycle. So what's that, 2021 onwards, probably going through till the 2026 World Cup, especially if it's hosted in, the, in North America. Uh, they're probably looking at, okay, here's another cash cow opportunity for, for the U.S. national team. So in order to get the U.S. national team rights, we also have to get uh, MLS rights. And so, I mean, they're intermingled in terms of if MLS does well, then hopefully that will help the U.S. national team or, or vice versa. If the national team does well, that should help uh, MLS TV ratings. Uh, we haven't seen that yet in terms of any big bump from uh, MLS uh, numbers, uh, historically speaking, from the last couple of years. But um, that's the thinking. And actually, MLS is very fortunate to, to be to have a safety pillow, basically, that uh, for, for future rights uh, negotiations when um, the U.S. national team is really the one that's uh, carrying the weight. All right, Kartik, so let's move on to uh, listener mailbag. And uh, we got a, a ton of feedback uh, from this from last week's uh, podcast, which was the one that we talked about uh, what NBC should consider um, to improve e- um, EPL coverage uh, next season. The first one comes from Anthony Bello, and he sent it, this in through email. He says, hi, guys. I listened to a podcast on improving NBC Premier League coverage, and before we fire Arlo White or, or add midweek programming, how about we start off with these issues? Number one, getting Premier League extra time on every cable provider. My provider, which is Hotwire, who I have been fighting with uh, for three years to carry uh, extra time, doesn't. And I also believe that Fios doesn't carry extra, extra time along with Dish. But not having uh, Premier League extra time sucks for me because I would love to DVR and binge Premier League games on Saturdays. Also, not having extra time is bad during the midweek uh, matches because you don't have a real sense of what's going on in the league when you're only getting one match a day. So, uh, so we'll, we'll go point by point. Uh, that one is, is yeah, the same with me too. I have Comcast, uh, which is owned by the same company that owns uh, NBC, and I, I don't have Premier League extra time either. For me, most of the matches I watch are actually on NBC Sports Live Extra, or, or actually NBC Sports app, um, and watch it through there. Or especially if there's a few games going on at the same time, I'll have um, one on the laptop and then watch a game on the television or one on an iPad, watching three at a time. But uh, how about you, Carter? Do you have uh, Premier League extra time? I do, and and I've had it from from the get go between you and, and DirecTV. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but but that's a good point, Anthony. Yeah, it's been three years, and still that still still is an issue. And I think in hindsight, probably NBC Sports probably looks at Premier League extra time and think thinks of it as it was a good idea, but uh, it's not working in terms of distribution. Um, the, the, there are providers that are not uh, making it available. Uh, number two, Anthony says, uh, sometimes matches aren't archived on the NBC website. I was out one day for a Palace-Middlesbrough match, and I figured that I could archive it later. I go on the website. It was the only match not available. So this is something I hear about all the time, uh, weekly, and it's not NBC's fault. So the Premier League, in their um, requirements, um, which is so archaic, uh, 
don't allow NBC or other broadcasters that have the rights to the Premier League around the world to have every single match available on archive. So they can only have, I think it's eight of the 10 or nine of the 10 matches available. So then NBC has to decide, okay, which of these eight, uh, which of these 10 matches, which one or two we're going to have to uh, pull and not have on the website. It's silly. It's, it's, it's stupid, but it's, it's the Premier League. And probably from the Premier League's point of view, they're probably thinking piracy, but uh, it's ridiculous. All right, number three, Anthony says, uh, NBC is the one network that doesn't let you watch multiple matches on the same screen. He says, uh, come on, NBC. I'm sure people would love to be able to watch four Premier League matches at the same time on the laptops. Uh, and I agree. I mean, Fox Sports Go has the uh, multi-screen option. Uh, ESPN3 has um, Mosaic and um, being sports, I don't think has it. But uh, then DirecTV has their option for, uh, for when they have games, I believe, where you can have a bunch of different games on the same screen, uh, so on and so forth. So, so great points by Anthony. And he, he adds, uh, finally, he says, uh, let's start with making sure every Premier League fan has access to state-of-the-art technology for every match before we ask for other stuff. So, yeah, good thoughts there. Anything to add on that one, Kartik? No, I think that that's uh, uh, that, that there's a there's a lot there. Um, I've been frustrated also by the kind of the archive hit, hit or miss randomization and just learn something from you, which is that uh, there are still some limits uh, because of the archaic way the Premier League manages media. Exactly. Uh, next comment is from Gene, and uh, he or she posted this one on YouTube, and he's, he or she says, the only change I think NBC needs to make is to have more of their own announcers out there, and that's basically it. So, um, and actually, uh, NBC's been doing this quite a bit, uh, probably from the start of games, when they did the first year, where we would just have Ola White doing, I think it was like one game a weekend, it seemed. But then we've had, uh, slowly but surely, I mean, Steve Bauer doing some, and um, and then I think it seems to be, uh, unless I'm forgetting things, but it seems to be that Ola White's, I mean, doing an average of about three games a weekend now, which is more than uh, what's yeah. offered. Uh, next comment is from the – actually, all the, the next comments are from uh, willsoccertalk.com, from the website, from the comments section on this podcast, last week's podcast. First one is from Oliver Say, and he says, uh, some parts of the Premier League on NBC presentation, notably post-match goal zone, are not working and, and need to be tweaked. And this is one, Kartik, that you've talked about with uh, goal zone. Yeah, yeah, I, I made that case a couple of weeks ago uh, on this show, and and um, glad to see that uh, Oliver and some others uh, agree with me. Next up is Cliff, and he says uh, NBC needs more EPL shows to fit, uh, fill the downtime for most Sundays through the following Saturdays. Trying to draw a new audience with just two game days won't work. Why not pick up a nightly uh, Sky, BBC, or Premier League talk show such as Premier League News, uh, team news updates? rather than trying to squeeze all the news of the week into a, a 30 to 60 minute pregame show on Saturday and Sunday. Thoughts, Scott? Yeah, I think um, I, I agree with Cliff. I think part of uh, what they've been able to do with the pregame shows, though, is is give it a purpose by having it almost as a news show mm-hmm. and a catch up on news and events that are unrelated to the game that they're about to show and sell a lot of commercials, which they can't sell during the games because of that. So mm-hmm. um, they made it a newsy program in a way that 
unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your perspective, you're forced to watch it because Neil Ashton's going to come on on a Monday and, and, and give you some news, or there's going to be some analysis from Musto and Martino and Earl of uh, the the week's events that you weren't able to get. Now, of course, I, I've, we've talked about ESPN FC so much on this show. I might as well say it again. I would have already <laughs> because I watch ESPN FC every night. Would have already gotten Craig Burley and Shaka Hislop and Brian McBride and whoever else talking about this very news but for nbc viewers exclusive nbc viewers which and we know the, the numbers aren't very high for espn fc so for the bulk of their audience it might be uh new material yeah and premier league uh, the, the premier league i'm sorry premier league, league news show uh, i think it's available on nbcsports.com uh each day but it takes a while to get, to get uploaded and now. they show it pretty randomly on nbcsn but you never know when it's going to be on and it's just filler right. when they show it exactly exactly the, the actual show i like it a lot it's improved a lot over the years and uh, the level of production is great and uh Georgie, Georgie Bingham, I think, is on there. There's a whole bunch of people on there that are actually uh, some good analysis and good news. Um, next comment is from Anthony Powell, and he says, A lot of the decline in ratings is out of NBC's control, but more of the marquee games seem to be on Mondays or early Sundays now, which limit viewership. The Saturday 12.30 game in the U.S. has also uh, seemed to decline in importance. I'd like to see more studio programming for Premier League on Friday. And I completely agree, Kartik. I mean, it it used to be that the Saturday twelve thirty kickoff was was usually a, a big match. Of course, the Sunday eleven o'clock uh, Eastern time was always the the, the, the big one, the big, the bigger the, of the one. And the Saturday seven forty five, what it used to be now seven thirty, used to be kind of I wouldn't say throwaway, but uh, kind of the, the the third most interesting game for the weekend. But it seems that the Saturday early morning ones have often been. Uh, more important, or, or they've been pushing them a lot to Sunday with, I guess, European anyway, teams playing in Europe, so they give them an extra day rest and have them play on, on a Sunday. But uh, yeah, good good points there by Anthony. I, I agree. And then last but yeah. least, uh, not least, uh, Edward Chu, and he posted this one on, on Twitter on our, our account. He says, uh, NBC needs to use more of USA and CNBC to broadcast their sports inventory. And I think what he's talking about, too, is that um, for the, um, the some of these overflow matches. So, so, I mean, yes, it's great to have them on NBCSN, but when there's other matches going on, it'd be wonderful to, to, to use, especially USA. USA's numbers are be- have been better than CNBC. Yeah, I, I think that that's the issue, though, actually, is that USA's numbers are too high, and you're, you're actually going to bring them down if you're showing a secondary, secondary Premier League game. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, I mean, it's, it's one of the highest-rated cable networks on television, and sports ratings are going down. Now, on CNBC, I completely agree. Uh, and NBC has through various times in the last two decades, and we saw it this season, right? There was a Premier League game on CNBC every weekend, at least one. Uh, In some cases, uh, multiple games. They have used CNBC to kind of uh, dump some of their sports inventory because it's a business network, and they've tried to find a niche for CNBC over the weekends. They used to have these talk shows that they would run uh, that were kind of um, separate from all of CNBC's weekday programming, which is a more business-oriented 
maybe caters for more uh, uh, investor based audience. Uh, that didn't work. They then went to putting sports programming on CNBC. That didn't work. They went to doing reruns and 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 reruns of news programs and reruns of uh, of, uh, of other things. In, yeah, in, it didn't in, work. Infomercials. I mean, sometimes I'll- infomercials, right? And now they're they're swinging back, at least in the case of uh, of the NHL and Premier League, to, to showing sports on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely some good comments. And, and actually, we appreciate all comments uh, from listeners. If you have any feedback, uh, comments on what we've said, or questions, questions about anything that you've been wondering in terms of the, the soccer media industry, or why you're, you're not able to watch or be able to watch whatever game it is uh, on whatever device you're looking to watch it on, uh, let us know. You can send comments, feedback, questions uh, to us by email, and that's uh, web at worldsoccertalk.com. Twitter is WSoccerTalk, and then Facebook is Facebook.com slash WorldSoccerTalk. Now, moving on to our last segment of the show, and that's our feature topic of the week, and that is what Major League Soccer can learn from Liga MX. Now, Kartik, uh, let me have you kick it off in terms of some of the, uh, the, the things you've seen from Liga MX that they've been doing well that perhaps MLS uh, could consider uh, adding to improve uh, TV ratings in the U.S.? Yeah, I, I think uh, the television production and the way the presentation is done on Univision in particular, but also on the other networks that, that cover Liga MX, Azteca America, and then ESPN Deportes and, and Telemundo uh, lends itself. And, and I mentioned earlier that it's a very TV-oriented league. lends itself to engaging viewers who may not even understand the context of a match or even understand the language in many cases to watching Liga MX. Um, I think that there's an important in regular season matches because of the split season. And this is something we tried when I was at NASL. It hasn't necessarily worked for NASL, probably because the league is just so dire in its level of play. But um, in general, the NASL is. But we did try the split season. They still have a split season at NASL, spring and spring and fall. And it makes every game that much more important. Regular season game when you have an Apertura and Clausura. It's a quick regular season and it's a long playoff tournament. But that makes the, the, the regular season in both the Apertura and Clausura, every match, so important uh, for uh, cl- uh, clubs in Mexico. Um there is a there are per- personality driven coaches you don't have that in major league soccer with uh, uh the possible exception of Caleb Porter and uh and and the way he um he, he acts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you've had the likes of Miguel Herrera, who just left uh, uh, Zolos, left Tijuana. You have guys like uh, Ferretti, who obviously we, we saw with Tigres over the weekend. Uh, for years and years and years, there have been colorful coaches. You, know, you think about the likes of Ricardo Lavolpe, Hugo Sanchez, etc. Colorful, aggressive um fun coaches and we know now from watching the premier league coaches drive so much of the narrative right Mm -hmm. so i think the coaches um are important now the level of play is good but i think it's ultimately overrated as a factor in determining market audience because the um the viewership numbers for liga mx are significantly higher now again the, the the carrier and access is is better, but are significantly higher than when you have Barcelona and Real Madrid games on accessible channels in the United States. Now, um, it's not always higher, but generally it's 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 marketably higher. The, uh, if you're talking about level of play, Barcelona and Real Madrid, their level of play are Bayern Munich, much higher than Liga MX. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the coaching um, 
kind of idea, oh, not idea, but a, a kind of a answer there is, is a good one. Because if you think back to, I mean, think about matches from the 80s or 90s, watching any of those games, so little of the, the actual uh, TV camera footage was on the coach. You probably would have the, I mean, the cameras following the ball as we went around the pitch and stuff like that. It's rarely that you'd actually have them focus or zero, um, zoom in on the actual manager or, or coach. And that's something too with Major League Soccer, like you said, with uh, Caleb Porter, pretty much being the only one that's really kind of a whether it's a, you love him or you hate him type of type of figure as far as a coach. Uh, it does add a different dimension to the game. You look at maybe any of the leagues from around the world. There's so much of a focus on on the coach, and that does have a big impact in terms of you know whether you again love him or hate him. It's going to pull people in to watch it and uh, to complain about the coach and how. Uh, how much of an egomaniac he is, I mean, if it's Mourinho or, or I mean, how, what a, a marvel he is in terms of the strategy and tactical side of things. So uh, it it does make a difference. And, and I think overall, too, in terms of, like you were saying, with Barcelona and Real Madrid, the, the level of play is much higher. Um, but for, for whatever reason, watching games on Univision, it seems that the, the television production value, uh, the quality of the, the pictures, uh, the audio, uh, the sound levels, whether the, it's the whether they're bumping up the, the sound of the crowd, which I don't think they are because I mean most of the stadiums are filled. Um, I mean, seats, uh, tickets to seats uh, at Liga MX games are, are cheap. Uh, I think one of the most uh, cost-effective leagues in the world in terms of seeing top-level football. So for the te- television viewing uh, audience, it creates a great atmosphere. And like you said, Kartik, even if you don't understand the language, um, it's a really absorbing league to watch. And it's and actually, it's a league I would like to watch more of. Um, I've been kind of almost like programmed where I've been so used to getting up early to watch matches and then watching kind of the midday match and then watching mid-afternoon. In the past, I would usually watch either Serie A or La Liga. Uh, but but these days, it could be that uh, watching a little bit of that, but then also watching MLS or going back and, and watching maybe some Bundesliga. So I'm pre-programmed to be kind of a, uh, just from habit, watching most of my matches earlier in the day up until mid-afternoon and then evenings, you mean, taking a break and, and watching other things. Um, so I'd like to watch Liga MX more and uh, yeah, yeah, I, th- I think it's a really exciting league to watch. And any other thoughts about some of the other ideas that um, what MLS can learn? Yeah, I think MLS can learn that you don't you don't manufacture rivalries. The the manufacturing of MLS rivalries now is becoming more and more a, to- a topic of conversation because they they've given these names like you have names uh, the uh, battle for the Seminole War canoe we used to have here in college football and in the in the state of Florida when Florida and Miami would play more regularly and, and uh, the, the battle for Paul Bunyan's axe and things like that in, in the Big Ten they have fallen into that pattern of Trillion Cup and. Uh, this and that, a Heritage Cup, etc. And um, people are seeing it as quite inauthentic. Let na- let rivalries uh, grow, let, r- let rivalries be natural, and also learn from uh, uh, Liga MX that if you overhype certain aspects, uh, um, you're, you're, you're losing a part of the audience because I think what MLS, a lot of people in MLS don't realize is that fans have become much more sophisticated about this sport and how they consume the sport and how they 
they view this sport. And uh, if you continue to, to force narratives down their throat, like it's 2000 or 2002 or 2005, uh, before this sport was much more mainstream and much more mainstream in the way we thought about this sport in this country, mm-hmm. then you're going to continue to fail. So they have a lot they can learn from Liga MX. They have a lot they can learn, period. Yeah. And uh, going back to what you said about the playoff system, too, I mean, that that's my big one uh, that's probably limits the amount of time I watch MLS in terms of especially from March all the way through till July when most of those games really don't matter because 54% of the teams qualify for the playoffs. So what's the fun and in, in, or the incentive to watch uh, those those games in the in the heat of the summer um, until later in the summer when, when it does make um, when it is more meaningful. And with that split system, like you said, Kartik, um, having the Apertura and, and Clausura I think for MLS, that was definitely something that they should consider in having a shorter season and then having the the, the games be more meaningful in terms of trying to uh, get into the playoffs for whether it's the Apertura or Clausura, rather than having to wait six months to find out, OK, which of those teams actually qualify, make it through to the next round. Um, that's my biggest learn uh, basically lesson i think that mls could learn from uh, league mx is just restructuring the season in a way that's going to maximize uh tv viewership and um that's that's the to me the biggest challenge that they have it's not it's not the i mean there are many factors you know relegation promotion you mean there is a factor that turns people off um I think there's some other things, but that's the root of the problem, I, I think, in terms of why MLS is struggling. Um, and, and also they have a lot of competition, too. I mean, Liga MX is a tough, tough uh, uh, competitive league uh, to, to come up against. And uh, as we've seen with the growing Hispanic population in the United States, Liga MX is ideally positioned. I mean, it's already the most popular league in the United States by far. But uh, that that should just continue to grow. Yeah, no, no, I think it will continue to grow as time time goes on. Anything else, Scott? Any any other? Um, what about the, the level of play uh, in Liga Max? Anything? Uh, any lessons to be learned there? No, I I think. Um... I think the, the, the level of play uh, argument with MLS, I, I get it from a lot of people, but there are factors that create uh, the level of play problems in MLS, like travel and um, the time of the year they're playing. Now, of course, MLS could solve that by being less, by, by splitting the league into conferences and not have teams play until the playoffs, but they've, they're so sweaty on manufacturing rivalries between LA teams and New York teams and uh, these transcontinental matchups that they, they'll never do that. And also, shifting the calendar, which I think is something that has been logical for years and years and years, but they seem unwilling to do. And anytime I bring the subject up, and and this is partly from the context of being in the Southeast, having worked at the second division league and had countless games postponed or delayed because of weather over the summer when it's hot, humid, and there are thunderstorms, um, that affects the level of play. The humidity and heat, and it's hot throughout most of the United States in the summer, affects the level of play. You factor in the travel. I think there's a lot of reasons why MLS, in spite of having much better youth youth and development academies, we're seeing that with how well the U.S. is performing in the U-20 tournament, how good they've been in this tournament. The vast majority of those players coming out of MLS academies, um, how... um, 
and signing big, bigger name foreign players and also scouting better in Latin America and getting a lot of good players out of Argentina and Colombia and other places, quality players, you would think that the overall level of play in MLS would have increased because the skill level, the technical level, the level of just everything, even even management, even level of uh, training has gotten better. But the, the level of play is never going to be satisfactory to the people who are snobbish about it because of these other factors. So uh, I think it's difficult to really improve the level of play in MLS without moving the calendar, honestly. But what we learned from Liga MX is if you're creative in how you set up your tournament and you make games more relevant, the level of play may not matter as much. Because let me tell you something, Liga MX the, is probably the slowest league. Yeah. on American television in terms of just the pace of the games. I th- Slo- much slower than MLS, in fact. I, I think that makes sense, though, in terms of having the slower level of play. Um, well, actually, in comparison to MLS, maybe not. But but in terms of just playing in, in the heat, I mean, a lot of these games are early afternoon or mid-afternoon games or going into the evenings. But just from this past weekend, right, that's true. being in Orlando at this Disney tournament, uh, even as a spectator on the sidelines, it was so hot. It was felt like walking into an oven. The temperatures were appro- approaching 100 degrees, but with the humidity, it felt a lot, a lot hotter. And I was, my daughter was playing. I was thinking to myself, "Oh my gosh!" I, I, just, just standing on the sidelines, uh, even drinking water and just trying to c- cool down. I just can't imagine how difficult it must be playing a full game on a pitch. So, so in terms of the slower playing style, I completely understand. It's it's very taxing on the players. Um, I, I do think that MLS should look at the calendar and try to see if there's a way to to, to adapt it slightly. Because uh, I know that people up north are probably saying like, "Ah, Chris and Kartik, you're crazy," because uh, you mean sometimes you mean perfect to to play MLS games in. But in the south, it isn't. In the south, it's it's the worst time of the year in terms of the the thunderstorms and the weather. Uh, I really think there should be a northern southern league rather than a east west conference, uh, and just play to you mean the, t- the times of the year, which winter time in Florida is ideal. It's it's the perfect place to be in the, in the world in terms of great uh, temperatures and great weather. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually, the, the north-south split. And so maybe that's what you do. I mean, the east-west split just makes sense from a, a time zone perspective. Yeah. But yeah, maybe that's what maybe that's yeah. what, how you have to do it. I, I, but you could have yeah, a, a, man, a manufactured rivalry with the, uh, the north against the south. It's the civil war. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, I, do th- I do think the league has to be split, though. That's my... Uh, yeah. That's yeah, my it's, it's a long season. It's, it is a long season. It's a long season. It's a it's 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 a long season and it's a big big country or continent and you have to split uh, you have to split things up. I mean, the idea of having a, a national league in this country, I think, is is a, is a bit ridiculous. And there's a reason why even in the Russian Premier League, the, the teams are all in one part of the country. Um, that's it's very very difficult and it's something that american sports people don't quite get and this is again the disconnect it's not just about pro rel mm-hmm. a lot of it is about pro rel uh the disconnect between american sports people reared in an american sports culture and those of us who are football soccer people um but I think it's things like this, regionalization, uh, rivalries, traveling fans. It's all these things that I think um, – and, and uh, uh, when you play, when your calendar is, that, that people who defend MLS from an American sporting perspective 
don't quite get. Mm-hmm. And, and we're right now we're about halfway through uh, this uh, MLS season. Imagine if you did have you're entering you mean if you had a Apertura Clausura and you're entering the playoffs now to go ahead and try to figure out who's going to be winning the the first half of the season. And, and and in many ways too, in terms of the timing, it's perfect. You'd end the season maybe late May, early June, and um, then allow the the players to go on international duty. And then when they come back from international duty, maybe start up the season. I mean, again, maybe it's in, um, well, oh gosh, September runs into the whole NFL college football thing again. But but anyway, the four-month calendar for a season kind of splits, like half season for four months, half season for another four months, whenever they are throughout the year, to me, it makes a lot more sense. And it's a lot more exciting rather than just waiting and waiting you mean, impatiently to, to see who qualifies for the playoffs, you mean, six or seven months after the season begins. Yeah, I agree on that. All right, Kartik, so, uh, so where can listeners find you on the internet? You can find me uh, on Twitter at KKFLA737. All right. So, so thanks for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, Audio Boom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. And if you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review. Kartik Krishnaya, over to you. Enjoy your football. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.